Hello, everyone, and we're live, episode 42 of the Fitness Business Growth Podcast. I'm here with Chris Lawrence. How are you, Chris? I'm going really well. Thanks, Jamie. Great to be here. Mate, thanks for coming on. So Chris is a West Tigers legend, a former Australian kangaroo, and the proud owner of One Training Organization. Cue the intro. So Chris, welcome back, mate. How are you today? Going really well, thanks. Been a good start of the week. Weather's good, so I can't complain. <laughs> what about you, mate? Are you in Sydney? In Sydney, yeah. Basically, go our office here in Five Dock. So yeah, beautiful sunny day at the moment. Yeah, cool, man. Well, first things first, man, I've got to say my best friend, Jared Brown, I'm getting married in 10 days. He is on oh. the left of me. He is a massive West Tigers fan. Uh, and so is my dad. And my dad's like, why are you interviewing Chris Lawrence? What do you do for work? And I will say, mate, I've watched the 2005 grand final maybe 50 times that Benji Marshall flick pass down the side to Pat Richards. Literally, there's a big picture of that in my <laughs> in my living yep. room for my, for my family. So, mate, t- tell us about yourself. Obviously, your early days of NRL, how did you go from playing in high school, playing at a local level to graduating through the ranks? Yeah, I suppose um, my football journey um, it was a bit, a bit unique in some ways, I suppose. Um, I was very fortunate enough to... Um, get my, and make my NRL debut while still in high school. Uh, it all sort of happened, you know, very, very quickly. Um, you know, Tim Sheens, uh, the coach at the time, was obviously known for giving um, young players a, a go and, and blooding them quite early. And um, he had a system where he had uh, young players come in and be essentially 18th and 19th man to a lot of the away games to give them a bit right. of experience how to prepare um, and things like that. Uh, so uh, what he did was he... Um, essentially got myself and one of the other players as the 18th and 19th uh, person. Uh, and then two days before the uh, the game up in Brisbane, I think Paul Federer went down with an injury uh, and he just turned to me and said, looks like you're playing now. So uh, obviously it was, you know, out of nowhere. And, and to be honest, in hindsight, it was probably good. I didn't have a lot of time to think of it. <laughs> yeah. I was still 17, didn't have a contract. I wasn't old enough to sign a contract. Had to rush my dad to go and sign on my behalf. Quickly Man, get it. Can I have been there? Were you the youngest player to debut in the NRL at the time, or what was that like? Uh, I think it's still, there's a few that were 16. I think now they've changed the age. Oh, I think they might have changed it back. They initially changed 18. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I think, youngest West, West Tigers player, but I think it was still quite uh, a few younger other NRL players. So it was just Man. Yeah, a bit of a whirlwind. Got, um, in, in what year was that, Chris? 2006. Mate, I yeah. think. I think people, human beings in general, are terrible, terrible at conceptualizing time. Mate, when I was 17, I was playing under-18s AFL for the Terry Gullivoca Panthers in third grade. So, I mean, I don't think people realize just how impressive that is. So, like, you're 17 years old. You would have thought you were mature. You would have thought you were the king of the world. Looking back on it, were you ready for that moment? Or how did you, how did you prepare for that moment? It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, look, I think, as I said, I think because I was, um, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for it. Uh, I just had to get thrown in the deep end. And to be honest, at the time, I didn't really think it was such a big jump. Uh, I now obviously reflect back and uh, now look at, say, you know, 17 year old sort of now coming in the system. And um, I'll probably think, you know, what were the, my teammates thinking? Um, you know, Sheenzy was probably off his head giving this young, <laughs> skinny um, kid a go. Um, but for me, I, I didn't really think any different. I, I was. You know, played in the under-18s the start of that year, fast-tracking the reserve grade. So I was playing, you know, in the second-grade competition. I didn't feel out of place. So, mm. you know, I knew it was a step-up and obviously playing against my idols, but I didn't really realise, uh, I suppose, how much of a step-up was. Um, but, you know, you know, the first game, you're, you're running on adrenaline and 
you know, I, I just remember running out to 40,000 people in uh, front of Sunk, Suncorp Stadium and, you know, Tim Sheen's, you know, first thing, it was the, the, the thing he said to me before we ran out was, uh, it was said to myself that, you know, he said, oh, he picked me for a reason. So when you get your chance, just back yourself. And I just had that running through my head um, when I ran out. And um, fortunately, it's, you know, sort of 20 minutes in the game, got an opportunity, um, loose ball and, and got sort of passed with some open space and, um, you know, had the chance to play it safe and step back in or pin me ears back and go down the sideline. It's had that running through my ears, you know, Sheenzy said, just back yourself. So back myself, got down the sideline and, and got uh, try on debut, which is pretty cool. Mate, so you scored a try in the NRL on debut, 17 years old, 40,000 people at Suncorp Stadium. What was that moment like, mate, when you crossed the line and put the ball down? Yeah, it was, um, it was probably famous for pretty much getting up and not reacting and not even smiling, <laughs> but... Um, to be honest, I, in my head, I thought if I score and carry on and we get beat by 30 points, um, yeah, it's going to look, look like pretty stupid. So, so mate, that's what I'm talking about. Like what type of 17 year old has that level of maturity and that thought running through their head? Like, Hey, there's a chance here. I can look like a yeah. huge dickhead. So like, did, yeah. that's just, it's truly remarkable, man. It really is. Oh, I just think too, cause, um, yeah, look, I, I suppose in my, um, you know, the last couple of years at school and playing uh, footy, I started more and more to see myself as a leader in a lot of those teams and, and lead by example. And um, I suppose that sort of rubbed off when I got in there to think, well, you know, I've just scored how good. Um, but, uh, you know, the game was still, you know, um, the game was still on the line. It was only early in the game. If it was last try, if it was last try at the end of the game, game is in the bag, it probably would have played <laughs> a lot bit differently. But um, for me, I was sort of, you know, in my head, I'm like, inside I was just jumping up and down and fist pumping but uh, yeah. in my head I'm like this is your chance like you know the start of the game like get through and, and play you know finish your game and you can celebrate now you, you may not have been the youngest to debut but were you the youngest to score a try in the NRL gonna be close oh uh, good question um no I don't know I've, I, I think there's have been a couple of 16 year olds play so um guessing they might have got a try um Maybe close, yeah. That's a good stat. I'd probably have to find out. <laughs> so, mate, what was that like when you finished the game? I'm guessing your family was in some corp to witness it. You finished the game. Is it, okay, I've made it. Is it, I've got so much hard work ahead of me. What was your thought once you finished that first game? 17 years old, scored a try on debut. Um, so, yeah, family was there, which is, you know, obviously awesome having and your family there. And um, probably, you know, this probably... Uh, moment, not so much this hour after the game, but this whole probably after this first game period, um, I suppose set me up for the rest of my career in terms of my mindset. And you know, my parents I owe a lot to in terms of how they, um, you know, allowed me, gave me the opportunity to um, get in that position. But uh, very quickly they sort of reminded me, you know, congratulated me, reminded me at the time I was still in school and still completing my HSC to to make sure hey you still got to complete your HSC. I actually had a trial HSC exam the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and said, look, that's awesome, but like you've worked hard and let's not throw that out the window. So that sort of, you know, kept me grounded, um, which, which I'm really grateful of. And, um, you know, for, for me, then I got, got the, I had to sort of fly back. It was a bit of a funny story, like flying back, sitting next to Chris Hyington, who's uh, now has never become a really mate of mine. And, um, you know, I sat down and still a young kid, pretty shy and wasn't sure. Um, what to do. So I just actually got out my study books to start studying because I had like an exam next day and I was yeah. pretty proud of the school and um, Heine just sort of looked at me and uh, said, mate, what the fuck are you doing? Put that, put that away. <laughs> like, yeah, just enjoy it, mate. Just enjoy your win. Like, you don't, you know, uh, and I mean this, um, 
the, the Broncos were obviously, I think they were sitting top top of the table at the time. They yeah, up, they, they went to Melbourne that year, grand final, yeah? Yeah, yeah, so yeah up, right. I don't think they lost a game after that. They ended up winning every, all the games. But um, look, that definitely set me up to, to obviously go on and, and to, to be able to have that mindset that, um, you know, it's not everything, keep your feet on the ground, stay humble because uh, like I've seen um, across my career, there's been plenty of players who have had one good game, one good year, you know, and haven't kept grounded. And mm. if you don't stay focused, um, you, you quickly shoot yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. You didn't You didn't get that far to go that far. It's a great saying, like, you made it there. Now it's making the most of it, staying on course and ultimately having a very, very long and successful career. Mate, I've got to ask, Monday, you're, you're at high school. It's lunchtime. You're at the canteen. You get your pies and red frogs. What type of reception are you getting in the canteen after scoring a try on debut? Well, it was an exam, so we didn't actually have schools. It was a 9 a.m. exam. Um, we had had camera crews and all the news outlets yeah, I'm waiting at the front of school. So, again, that that was probably um, the thing I've gone from, again, being a nobody to uh, I think that morning was on the back page of every paper. The Tigers, obviously, the, uh, the premiers the year before and were in doubt, danger of missing the eight. So it was a big, I suppose, storyline for them. So... Um, it was, I didn't really know how to handle it. Again, driving in and, and having these camera crews and um, then coming in. Obviously, it was pretty exciting because, you know, you, you know you play footy with your mates at high school and just to be able to celebrate that feeling with them, they couldn't obviously come up to the game. But, um, you know, get, getting back to school was pretty cool to see them and then having to settle down to do my exam. But it was, you know, then when I got to finish the exam, uh, and again, another really, really fast and hard lesson, I suppose, but... Um, as you do when you're a 17-year-old kid at, at a boys' school, finished um, uh, finished exam, we just hang, hung out down the local muckers. You know, we weren't hanging out, hanging out at cafes or anything like that, and just sitting there and mucking around and having a bit of fun and getting some camera crews followed us down and started filming us and you know saying, "Hey, it'll be good if you're mates and that you pretend to wrestle each other." And um, you know, not, we weren't doing anything, anything wrong, but um, after they sort of started again doing and asking us to do a few things and take a few photos, I started to think, oh, this is probably not the setting. They're sort of asking us to do things, and I said, oh, look, that's enough. And mate, they're setting um, you up for a seventeen-year-old kid setting the kid up. Unbelievable. And then the back page of paper the next day was me wrestling my mates in front of Mac a Macca sign. So <laughs> what, you know, so yeah. Yeah. I was pulled uh, into yeah. Tigers, you know, and not told off, but just reminded that hey, you're in the public eye now. Like you just have to be careful. So. Within the space of three days, I learned pretty quickly like lessons about, uh, I suppose now what I couldn't and couldn't do. Uh, and again, nothing that well, it was just harmless. Just uh, you know, sending your boys, um, just joking around, um, you know, throwing some stuff at each other, having a bit of a wrestle. But yeah. yet, you know, now that was unacceptable. So, so at, 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 that, at that age, being that young, did you understand the club had million dollar sponsors and you're effectively representing the club, representing the sponsors, and what you did off the field? Could have cost your team, cost the club, cost the sponsors, sponsors, and ultimately your career. Oh yeah, like, to be honest, I, I didn't even know, probably know to the extent. It was more the perception, and I then when you when I sat down and thought about it, about the perception that number one, you know, you're sitting eating macas, you're supposed to be, even though you literally just started playing first grade, supposed to be an athlete who you know is perceived that you're obviously supposed to be healthy and eating well. Um, and then obviously, even though we're not doing anything, you've got your school logo in there and your photograph, you know, just having a bit of a muck around wrestle and things mm -hmm. like that. So it just soon got me knowing, obviously, you know, what was obviously perceived acceptable and what wasn't. 
um, and, you know, in terms of in the situation I, and I was in. And as I said, you know, I'm in the public. Was then very quickly go from again being nobody to in the public eye. So um, you know, things that you know may be you know acceptable for uh, you know people just again having a muck around with friends and pushing mm. a shot with friends with all uh, with no intentions is then doesn't become acceptable, you know, because football players. Again, to be honest, probably set some really, like, again, really grateful that happened very early because yeah. um, from then on as a young kid, like, very, very mindful um, in, in terms of the settings and situations I was, I was in from then on. Well, I guess you mentioned before you are already kind of a leader at your local club and in reserves, and that just would have emphasized that position so much more. Every single kid you ever played rugby league against would be saying things like, I played with Chris Lawrence. I played against Chris Lawrence. Chris Lawrence is a great guy. I want to make the NRL. And I guess you're just a representation of them. Yeah, like, I mean, again, every kid coming through, you know, you play, you know, through club footy and then you start playing through your junior reps. And, you know, majority of kids have that aspiration to play in a professional rugby league. And um, as you start making your way through the grades, you know, the, the window gets smaller and smaller. And, you know, there's all those little things that um, contribute to getting you there. So, you know, there was plenty of kids that um, I played with who were more talented than me, definitely, um, and, uh, you know, played alongside. So, you know, you sort of, when you get that opportunity, you do almost have that sense of responsibility that you sort of know that there's plenty of kids, number one, that were better than you and they didn't make it for whatever reason or other kids that, um, you know, probably would give anything to play there. So, you know, mm. not to waste this opportunity. So you played your first game, you finished high school, you got signed as a West Tigers player. What was the next, I guess, what was the, the next five to 10 years like leading up to you being picked for Australia? And how is that transition from high school? Okay, because I'm now a professional footballer. This is my full-time job. I'm only doing this for the foreseeable future. Yeah, so it was um, obviously like, you know, the, the first couple of years um, and, and pre-seasons were tough. And even just like like any younger athlete coming through, you, you have your body getting used to that full-time training. Um, you know, it was, it, it's all about sort of building your body up to be able to handle the um, demands of week-to-week footy, which does probably take about five pre-seasons before, you know, your body can um, obviously develop and, and then recover and whatnot. So, so you know, how much did you how much did you weigh when you were seventeen, and what did you weigh when you're at your your absolute peak? Um, I think I was about 86, 88 kilos maybe when I debuted, and then um, I probably played um, when I sort of I suppose got to uh, you know playing for Australia between about ninety eight and hundred. Um, yeah. kilos playing in the centers and then later in my career in the back row between about 100 and 102 so obviously needing to carry a bit more to uh, take all the impact uh, of that so yeah. you know, and that's just five years of pre-season five years of hard work yeah. ultimately becoming a man filling in your frame and just lifting a lot of weights yeah just bulking up and that's the thing you know the, there's a, a, a lot of um i suppose different thoughts into how and how big you get too quickly you know they want to obviously bulk me up you know because i was pretty skinny but um, you know, speed was one of my biggest assets and, and I was always mm. mindful not to um, put on too much weight too quickly and lose my speed. So I was a bit of a, as a young kid, you know, to and fro because I, I've come from an athletics background and, um, you know, the strength and conditioning staff are looking at how we need to put size on you because that's going to protect you from injury. Uh, and then I'm looking at, you know, the, uh, what that's uh, obviously going to do for the speed. So, you know, it's always about an understanding your body. Again, I'm young. I, I don't know my body as well mm. as older you really understand what works for your body the best how to get the most out of it um you know the different triggers your body and i didn't know that at the moment um you know there's a so i suppose a saying when you especially when, when you're young and you're an athlete you don't know how far your body can be pushed and it's your trainer's job to push you to mm. the point of 
breaking essentially and then when they break you they know your level and you can get the treatment and that and then because you don't know how far you can go and that's the thing you know plenty of athletes now so oh, i can't do this that but you actually they haven't been pushed enough to know where your body can go once you've done five six you know ten pre-seasons and seasons you know where your body's at uh mentally you know how far you can go and that's why you see you know um the in games and the consistency and hanging in there like older guys can push further because they know you got they more know. Than you, but yeah. um, i haven't been pushed as far so that it's so me that was a learning curve i had to be you have to sort of get out of comfort zone past you know um areas you've been before to test yourself physically and mentally and that's what those first sort of five seasons um were all about um so obviously cementing a spot i was so mate, just just to back up again like you said the pre-seasons were grueling. Like, I, I love the details. I love being in the weeds. What, obviously, what does a typical pre-season look like? Like, how many weeks before kickoff? Like, is it is it just running and weights and then you lead up to ball work? Or, like, what does the typical, call it a periodized program, look like for an NRL player in pre-season? Yeah, look, I think it's probably changed a lot. Um, a lot of sports science is uh, brought in and been really specific around of training loads and kilometers run and things like that. But... Yeah, most pre-seasons are still pretty standard uh, for, for a rugby league team. You've pretty much what's nearly nearly November. So next week, I would say every single side who hasn't played finals will be coming back into training. Um, you know, the, the older guys do now get a bit longer, which which is great. I think that they definitely need that. Um, and, uh, yeah, the first sort of month is just about volume. You've got to, um, you know, get the volume of the running, um, the Ks uh, in your legs. Um, mm. You know, it's about building that cardio fitness base. Um, a lot of depending on um, who you are in your, your individual ca uh, capacities, the weights rooms either about losing weight, building muscle, or just maintaining. So you sort of you usually got your three different groups, um, and then a lot of your technical skills. So um, the specific uh, individual skills you got to work on. Um, a lot of um, wrestling, tackle technique to obviously um, get you, um, you know, uh, technically right for for the season. Um, and then you obviously just got the mix up of, you know, different, cro um, I suppose, cross training style sessions, army boot camps and things like that, um, to, more to test you mentally rather than to actually get you physically better as a player. So, um, and, mm. and as the sort of preseason gets toward more towards the start of the season past Christmas, uh, a lot of the running volume does decrease. It becomes more game specific, more skills are implemented into that, shorter, sharper interval based up and down off the ground. Um, as, as game specific as possible um, because again you can train uh, as much as you want you can do as many game simulations but that first trial that first game your lungs are still burning so um, mm. as a young guy you haven't got that base five six years in you, you only take probably i'd say you know three to four weeks you could go keep yourself in fairly decent shape um, across the pre-season and with not doing a lot and within four weeks you could be match fit um, it doesn't, your body, the muscle memory comes back quicker, takes a lot longer when you're younger and obviously you, you're there to make gains. So yeah, of course, back in, they got a lot of extra work to do as well. So mate, playing for Australia, I promise we'll get onto one training first, but a lot of my audience want to hear from you. So like how many years were you into your career before you, you played for Australia? Was that something you dreamed of as a kid? Was that a phone call you received? What actually happens when you get selected for Australia? Um, yeah, so 2010, I got uh, picked in the Four Nations squad, um, which was, you know, uh, under I said, you know, it is a dream to represent your country. Um, you don't, you know, you, you dream to play, you know, for those kids 
you're aspiring to play professional sport, you dream just to do that, play one, say, NRL game. Then once you play one game, you just love to play one year. And um, as you start playing, your aspirations get higher and higher. So you obviously had that dream of playing for your country, which I was fortunate enough to do. Um, it was actually funny most of the time, and it did happen the following year when I got picked again in the Four Nations squad, that you're supposed to get a... Uh, a phone call just to let you know, hey, we've just congratulations. Um, you know, you've been selected in the squad, either from the coach, selectors, or or whatnot. Um, but they announced the squad at the time uh, on the news, and, and I didn't know that. So they're going through all the names of the squad and um, by club name. So West Tigers, they announced last, and I was the last last one named. Um, and then, and mate, back up. Where were you in that moment? Where where were you I'm exactly in time? TV, yeah, sitting home watching the TV. So it was pretty. Um, Pretty exciting um, to to be picked um, again because it was a squad. I was excited. I was excited, but again, there's no guarantee I was ever going to play a game. So mm. there was a bit of a uh, understanding. Okay, well, this is a chance to make the most of you know being in a, an eight week camp with the best players in the game to learn as much as I could, um, and then. When, once again, it's another one. I didn't come this far to come this far. It was I don't want to make the squad. I want to play for Australia and run out on the field. Yeah, definitely, and and to be honest, the, I was I was not, um, you know, the, the first choice centers at, at the time, and uh, I was probably you know third or fourth, uh, you know, probably fourth sort of in line at, at that time, and um, I think it was Greg Inglis got injured that year, so they picked three centers. So I got that chance that number three spot, and um, I, once we got in there, I sort of knew that, um, and the talk was that if the uh, the side wins the first couple of games, the third game they're going to give to different people a go. Um, and because I was number three, I thought, you know, I need to, when I, if I get my chance, that's my chance to try to see if I could um, obviously stay there. So um, fortunate enough, what, the, the game I got to play in was actually against New Zealand um, at um, at Eden Park, uh, which was pretty wow. cool. So it was, um, yeah. obviously a very pro Kiwi crowd. <laughs> yeah, it was um, yeah, surreal well, having Harker and having you know, 40,000, 50,000, you know, people sitting there, you know, watching and um yeah, booing you and uh, yeah, it was a great atmosphere and uh, we were getting fortunate enough to get the win. Um, but yeah, it didn't uh, unfortunately didn't um, cement my spot. Um, I felt like I was close and then coaches. It was a bit of a, a toss of the coin, so I didn't get to play in the final um, the next week. But definitely gave me that hunger to to get back there once you get that taste of it. Man, and I think I did some research. You were the West Tiger with the lead, leading scorer. Is that right? It was broken last year. My friend Jared said. Is that true? Yeah, so for a little bit was, uh, and then I think uh, for the try scorer, and then Dave Nofaluma, uh, I think. Bloody, bloody Dave. Wingers, that's all right. Wingers, you give it to a winger, that's all right. But I think for the back row days cost me a few tries towards the back end of the year. Yeah, cool. Well, mate, you played for West Tigers, you played for Australia. There comes that point in your career, whether it's there is life after football, and you hear it all the time that pro athletes struggle with that. At what point throughout your NRL career did you start planning for post-NRL life? And ultimately, what led you to one training where you are now? Um, to be honest, uh, straight after that first game. And that was, again, I, I look back in hindsight um, and very thankful. My parents, again, kept me grounded because by me then focusing on you know, my HSC, um, I, I ended up playing the next five games of that 20, 2006 season. Um, and, um, you know, I actually found having, um, the, you know, school and the HSC to focus on a really great distraction 
I didn't like the attention. I hated the media attention. And this was before, you know, social media was really, you know, prevalent. So mm. um, I, I don't, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't like it, um, the, the extra tip. So for me, I could just literally go to train, focus training, take my hat off and focus on school and completely escape from it. Um, so I thought, you know what, um, I got into university. Um, I, I decided there was two areas, business or sort of that health science, sports science that I enjoyed. Decided to take a sports science degree and had a really bad experience that first year. Um, went to Sydney University and they were definitely not accommodating, definitely not flexible. Things have probably changed. But yeah, for me, I, I had a bad experience and ultimately dropped out um, because um, so what was the experience mate why was it bad because just no flexibility just no flexibility i had um there was only certain times you could do tutorials you can do um you know uh, different uh, the workshops the lessons and whatnot and yeah um, it's, am- it's amazing mate that 18 years ago online education wasn't really a thing you had to sit in the classroom yeah, with the lecturer yeah, yeah and i think too again that's with online learning things have changed and the flexibility, but that was just, I suppose, the way, you know, Sydney Uni was seen as quite a pre- prestigious university. And um, so, yeah, they, you know, you had to fit in with them, which you can completely understand. You know, and for me, it was like, well, I'm a playing professional rugby league, trying to obviously, you know, fit both in. And it basically got put to me, well, I've got to choose what's more, most important. And, um, you know, frustrated at the time, I think um, I may have said to the careers coordinator, well, unless you're going to uh, pay me each month, and I think, um, the, the footy might might be the way to go, but you know, for me, I that left a negative experience um, for me because of the fact I really wanted to have something outside of sport, and and I wanted to go to that university, I wanted to do that, you know, that course, but I just felt like there was too many barriers. Went away from that, thought next year I'm going to f- completely just focus on footy, and um, got my chance to get a starting spot, but then found my form fluctuating, didn't know why it was, and just felt like because. I'd solely focused on footy. I was just riding the highs and lows. I'm like, I have to have something away from footy to take my mind off. So, so just I, to clarify, Chris, like if you had a, had a bad game, you may look at the papers, you may go on social media the early days and it would get, your, get, get yourself down or were you just thinking about the moments in the game that you made a mistake? Like what do you mean it was just like... Oh, yeah, everything, yeah, and you do. And every player does, but I think the older you get, you put it in perspective a bit more and you can move on quicker. Like um, every player... Um, when they have a bad game, will be dirty on themselves, angry at themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, the older you get and the less um, you, you realise in the game, you're always going to make mistakes. You get on with it, you fix what you need to do with the training and you move on. Uh, obviously, I was still young. I, you know, I had an element not wanting to let my teammates down. So I held on to that for a bit longer during the week. Uh, again, which is not great because it takes a lot of energy out of you. Mm. Across the long season, it isn't great. Um, so I found then... Education was perfect because if I had that, I could literally focus on education, focus on something, and get small wins, and actually completely forget about and turn up the train next day and have forgotten about the game really. And thought, and that really helped me get over, you know, some of those injuries, or it was, um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the bad performances. So um, I decided to go uh, in a different direction from sort of face face learning and uh, went on an online. Um, fitness course. So I did, did you know, the search ring for online. And the reason I did that, again, I had an interest um, in that. Um, whether I was going to um, want to transition out of sport, did I think I was going to, you know, go and own a gym and, and be a personal trainer? Um, possibly. You know, I wasn't 100% sure at that stage, but I knew I liked fitness. And at the end of the day, I felt like if um, if I went into fitness, I knew that I would learn more about my body and I wanted to be a better athlete. So if I knew more about my body, if I knew more about training, I could get the most out of my body and, and be a better footy player. So 
I did that, um, did that all online, really struggled with the lack of um, uh, support. You know, I went from, you know, two ends of the spectrum um, and, and I really struggled and ended up finishing that. And um, to be honest, that's where I suppose Post Footy started because my business partner and um, a friend at, at school was, um, you know, he went through a journey like a lot of athletes we spoke about. They you know, get to the point they play through the system, play, you know, their 20s and reserve go for a number of years and had a couple of injuries and realised he had to look at something else. Yeah. Um, he went down the fitness track via TAFE and, you know, we sort of finished similar times and we just thought there was no, there's no way that I looked at a lot of the athletes and I was very proactive that could get through, you know, a, a course like this without, with, with no support and, and vice versa. They couldn't go to TAFE four days a week. So, we started, you know, the business based off that. We had, you know, dabbled in some other. So just business. to clarify, mate, you started the business originally. I was like, this is going to be an education company to help people that are pro athletes get qualifications while they're playing to set themselves up for life after footy. Yeah, that's correct. So we, we dabbled in a few businesses, health fitness businesses, in um, running holiday clinics um, and, and things like that. And uh, it was really around that probably 2011, 2012, where we identified a gap in the market. There was no. RTOs, universities, no one accounted for um, or catered for athletes because they made up such a small percentage of the cohort. They didn't understand their needs, the challenges. Again, there was no flexible learning, so there was there was really um, there was no positive outcomes for it for athletes. So we wanted to create education specifically for athletes to help with their transition out of sport. And the course we started delivering for was the Cert Three and Four in Fitness. Uh, and the reason we did that is because it builds confidence back in education. Um, you know, for myself with negative experience from um, you know, going from university, my business partner again had similar experiences. Um, you know, and negative experiences education. Now, uh, you know, we've um, been over twelve years delivering our fitness course for athletes, and um, you know, over a thousand, uh, fourteen hundred, you know, students through various courses. The ninety percent of the athletes are the same. Disengage a school at a young age, told they're going to be professional athletes at a young age, and then get to a point where it's seven, eight, nine years, and they haven't engaged in any form of education. You know, yeah. Some have low language literacy in numeracy schools. A lot have low confidence in learning and unsure what they want to do. So how do we address those barriers? And for us, it was a fitness course. This fitness was relatable. You know, they're doing it day is, to day. Is there a few beliefs that you have to break, mate, with those younger kids? Like, hey, like, I know you're in the NRL. You're making good money. You may play set of origin one day, but there is going to be a day where you hang up the boots. Perhaps oh, you should yeah. look into this. Oh, yeah, we do that. And and everyone, the NRL, all the other major sporting organisations, everyone tries to say that, you know, you get have programs and workshops in place for young players to talk about planning. But at the end of the day, it's hard because you, even um, myself, I sat in those rooms, we had next players say, oh, your career goes, you know, so quick goes like that and it's over. And you're like, yeah, whatever, like, yeah. It, it's not going to go that quick, but it does. Do you, and, do, do you think because you're a player, and you now have this company. It, it's it's different when it comes from you, a former West Tigers legend, a former kangaroo. Like, hey, like the day is coming. Well, but as I said, we had past players, and for all clubs, all sports have past player involvement to try to um, provide some insight and perspective of what it looks like. But again, if you're a young player, you're 21 years old, you signed a five-year contract. Do you really believe, you know, that mm. uh, your, my career or the next 10 years is going to go quick, like, you know, you have a level of certainty, you know, and not, you don't really have certainty now because, you know, things change so much. And it is about just reminding them that, you know, what this and our philosophy is that by engaging with, or this is not about 
trying to say you have to do. It's not a plan B. Uh, you know, I hate the term plan B. It's about this actually helps with your plan A. Like, if you want to be mm. the best athlete, you can't ride the roller coaster. You can't be looking at social media every day. As soon as you have one bad day, someone bags you. You know, it is hard to remove yourself from that by having something away from football. You know, and studies have shown we've done our own study. There's been a major study that those who engage in off-field initiatives have um, longer careers, play more games, and play um, more representative footage. Yeah. So and I guess your self-worth yeah. isn't fully wrapped up in the weekend's game. It is wrapped up in I am an NRL player, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm also studying this course to do this post-footy. So it really would help you ride the roller coaster. Yeah, and I, and I suppose when you're older, that definitely becomes into it because you, you, you realise you're not you're not more than just a footy player. When you're younger, it's about being the best player you can be. So the, the message... It is a bit different depending on the stages career you're at. Um, so younger players, it's definitely about, well, you want to play before you want to do this. Okay, here's the stats show that you need to be having something away from the field to keep you grounded, to make sure you can be focused when you need to focus and take your mind off, um, you know, some of these things. So, you know, I saw, a, I saw a statistic one day, Chris, it was like the NRL career is a lot shorter than people think. So like the average career is like three or four years. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I think it's 40 games, 45 games, I think. The average so, that's, so, that's, so that's two years pretty much. And that's because I guess like there's such a there's such a there's a new crop of players coming in every year like a draft where it's best players, best players, best players. Yeah, I mean that's just the yeah, the average crew because you do have you know players constantly coming in and uh, again if you aren't getting better, if you aren't constantly, you know, adapting your game, you're getting left behind and um, you know, when you do become comfortable, that's when it doesn't matter about contracts. You get threes on your contract. You're not performing well. You know you get tapped on the shoulder by the club, or the club will try to look at um, you know moving on to another club or things like that. And that's just that mm. is the way the game goes. So you, you um, a lot pl more players are aware of it these days. Um, so it's just about you know not not necessarily having a plan B. As I said, it's about making sure you've got something else that can help you maximize the performance because it is only a short window of opportunity. So, so your, your role with One Training now, are you one of those ex-players that is going into clubs and speaking to teams and the younger stars about this type of thing? So our company, so One World Band was the company we started um, with obviously the athletes, which is fantastic. We went five years of delivering the fitness course to 2015. We then um, thought we want to get some more tangible data, how we can better deliver education for athletes. Did a research project, which was we uh, intended to be three months, actually went um, two years, and we partnered with Western Sydney University to have our findings academic, academically published in the International Journal of Sports Society about empowering yeah. elite education. And what that did was give us a model of education we knew would work for athletes. Uh, moving forward now that we know that it doesn't just work for athletes, it works for people who have you know, different unique challenges, whether it's around learning challenges or um, troubles with busy lifestyle and um, juggling multiple things. Uh, but so mate, just, just, to, just back up for a second. What is the difference in your opinion between one wellbeing, your model of delivering education to some others out there? And where do you feel like you have the advantage to provide the best possible service? Yeah, so one wellbeing, as I said, is our athlete arm. We're sort of getting to where they're obviously the one training, um, I suppose, ended up and um, yeah, we've used that model for One Wellbeing. We got to the point where we then um, delivered uh, education across uh, multiple sectors with athletes, had the opportunity to become our own RTO, um, where One Training was born. Uh, we always had that intention. Um, we're fortunate enough to partner with an RTO uh, with One Wellbeing, and we still maintain One Wellbeing is still there as our athlete-only um, business. Uh, now we'll have the opportunity now to work uh, with One Training. There's a couple of cohorts we do work with aside from 
um, aside from athletes, is uh, those within schools. So school students um, that do as part of school-based traineeship. And we also work with people who are currently working full-time jobs, wanting to supplement their income, start a fitness business, or just looking to change industries have had enough their industry. And we know that our model learning is fit for those who, again, had juggling multiple things. Um, they can't dedicate all their time to it. They need to have flexibility, but they need to have support. Might not have engaged in learning or education for a number of years. So need to build confidence in those skills. So yeah, um, for us, if we build confidence in learning skills, confidence in life in general, if you have confidence, um, what you can achieve, whether that's in education, in business, in your personal life, in your career, is quite amazing. So um, everything- I guess you you had the bad experience at Sydney Uni where it was not flexible. You had the bad experience online where you didn't have the support. You've taken what you've learned from there and developed this perfect course for the person that may struggle to learn, for the person that hasn't got time, for the person that wants to transition's career, and just really make it as easy as possible for that person to transition. Yeah, exactly right. And, and I mean, it is about you know being flexible in terms of when you can do it, but being supportive in terms of sometimes you just need to sit there and hold someone's hand to get through a certain stage and then gradually have that scaffolder learning approach where you can be hands-on early and you can start to pair that back as, you know, you build independence, you build confidence and people can start taking that next step. And everyone's different in what they want to achieve, but, you know, we've been able to deliver some, you know, great outcomes, you know, for athletes over a number of years, you know, looking forward to working with school students um, with our sort of first contract next year. But over the last sort of two years, being able to work uh, with in the general public again with those people who you know are in full-time jobs looking to change the industry but can't give up their job because of financial pressures so you know how can they fit everything in and they just feel like they're stuck you know for, for us we, we can provide that um, solution for them and you know we've had some of the people and students come in who are in finance and working in accounting and have done our course gone to purchase and start a gym and looking to start set up chains of gyms and those who have gone on to be personal trainers and those who are going in other areas of the fitness industry but they couldn't take that. They didn't have the confidence to take that leap out of their um, their career, which is the safety net of providing that income. Um, you know, until they could really see the opportunities, until they could dip their toe in the water. You know, start seeing an opportunity and start seeing mm. um, a career in the fitness industry, which gave them that confidence to change. I really want to dive into your student program. It really fascinated me the other day, but I'd love to ask a question. What is does a is there an athlete story that really stands out to you? that they went through your program and they've gone on to do amazing things, something that you're really proud of? Yeah, to be honest, a lot of the athletes, um, you know, in the early days um, is that, that you know, my business partner, Leon Keir, worked really closely with, um, you know, plenty of times that we, we have had athletes who have just, again, disengaged with education from such a young age and just didn't, you know, feel like they had the confidence to achieve that. Um, you know, some and then some guys who, you know, one particular example was Tarek Sims, you know, was, you know, really um, wasn't, was unsure, um, you know, because he had disengaged in um, education since school, was focused on sport, you know, had the confidence to, to go through his Cert 3 uh, and finish his fitness qualifications. And then as he started to do that, he had confidence, you know, he then went on and re- represented New South Wales and Australia. And we had, we've had a few different instances like that where at different ages too, um, athletes have gone on to play representative football once they've started to get towards the completion state of their, their fitness course. So it, mm. ha- it happens once, it, you know, you can say it's coincidence when it happens, start ha- happening on multiple occasions. You know, Wade Graham, another example, um, just showed a car, you know, you've got a lot of yeah. these guys. And you had those studies in place that if they have something outside of footy that they're pursuing, i.e. a Cert 3, Cert 4 in fitness, it actually leads to better performance on the field. 
because yeah, they have yeah, a more well-rounded yeah. life. Good, really great study by Dr. Professor Lavalli. If any of your listeners want to actually go check that out, he did a, a cross a study. I think of as about 120 NRL players uh, across a number of years, uh, and yeah, the, the results essentially were those who engage in off-field uh, endeavours have longer careers, playing more games, and are picked in rep size more often. So, mm. um, you know, it, it was a couple of years ago when um, I think the Turbo Tommy Travorovich was the Dalian. Uh, medalist, um, he was also academic uh, player of the year as well. So doing a double degree, you know. So Man. a guy that can fit both those things in just shows that you know don't have to pick one or the other. Yeah, cool, cool. That, that's amazing, mate. And for me personally, I'm always trying to learn something. Otherwise, I feel like I'm getting dumber. <laughs> like you just yeah. your brain stops working. So, mate, <clears throat> I want to transition to the school program. We spoke last week about it. I was yeah. really, really fascinated because, mate, I was that person. I was disengaged with education. I speak really fast. I'm the worst speller on planet Earth. I was told I was stupid my whole life. So school was tough for me. And I did my Cert 3 after I finished school at Gosford TAFE. Can you run me through how this works in regards to kids that are year 10, 11, and 12 that can do traineeships through through one training? Yeah, so we were very fortunate enough to win a New South Wales Government Smart and Skilled contract in July this year. So that's an education contract to do, deliver fee-free training. Um, what we got given when we first tended for it, we didn't go for school-based traineeships, to be honest. We, we just went for very conservative to try to get a contract. Um, when we got uh, awarded the contract uh, for school-based uh, traineeships and chatting to a lot of the department officials, the reason why we got uh, given that was our work over the last 12 years with athletes and our ability to engage with disengaged students. There's been a big push by the government to um, incentivize students to stay in school in year 11 or 12, more and more kids were leaving school in year 10 and not going into, I suppose, your traditional trade. So they want to incentivize uh, students to stay uh, in year 11 or 12 by doing um, a school-based traineeship. So like your old school, um, school-based apprenticeship to do plumbing, electrical, building, but on your other um, areas, so whether it's hospitality, fitness or whatever it may be, um, so that you can complete a Cert 3 fitness funded by the government so they can um, again, provide that incentive to stay at school um, and have finished uh, year 12 uh, with a qualification in Cert 3, that goes towards your HSC. So that's All the right. first element. The second element is obviously the, you've got the course at school. Second element is work. So part of a traineeship, you have to be employed um, by a gym or sporting um, you know, body uh, to, to um, go through the requirements. And one of the challenges um, the government found, the hardest thing was the schools, the careers advisors and parents and students just didn't know how to go find that employment. A lot of gyms didn't know about the opportunities, what they could and couldn't do. And so, mate, I want to jump in there because that's where we kind of got introduced. <clears throat> yeah. Can you run me through? So a year 10, year 11, year 12 student is going through their Cert 3 in fitness. Part of that program is working in a local gym or a sporting organization to get experience. How does that relationship happen? Like what happens between is it the student reaches out to the gym, the gym reaches out to the student? Because I didn't know this existed. Yeah, well, um, prior to, I suppose, us getting it, really, it can be anyone. It could be the student reaching out to the gym, the provider, whatnot, but a lot of providers previously that have had the, the contract, I don't think, you know, do that because it's an additional service, essentially, being able to reach out to the gym. It's really the responsibility on the student and the parent. But again, mm. you know, students, some students are proactive in that sense. A lot of students just don't know where to start or, or what to do. So for us, with our connections with uh, a lot of gym uh, facilities and providers through our work with athletes and even now working with the general public, being able to help, help transition into employment, 
um, you know, we, we've had that opportunity that we can connect out to the gym. So initially, to be honest, uh, one of the first things was a bit of a fact-finding, understanding, well, um, you know, a lot of our um, gym partners um, speak to them and saying, look, if you were to take on uh, a trainee, you know, what do you see the benefits of? And as we started to chat more about what they can and can't do, it was really clear, five really clear benefits that, um, you know, a lot of gyms who have already now started to take on these trainees have. First of all, uh, in the local area, just obviously the ability to give back to a local um, kid in the school, give back to the community. Um, you know, a lot of gyms are community focused, they're about the community mm-hmm. and giving back in some form um, is what one of the motivations were. Number two, um, many of your listeners and gym owners will, will tell you how hard it is to find a, a um, Cert 3 qualified instructor. Man, I'll, I'll jump in there. It is like a running joke in our industry at the moment yeah. how hard it is to find staff. Yeah, well, again, most of the now, like the comments, and you guys will be having the conversations as well. When COVID hit, you know, all your senior instructors, your head coaches, head trainers, um, you know, your studio managers obviously stayed in the industry. Anyone who's one, two, and three year experience, a lot of those people left because of the uncertainty. Mm. You know, gyms were closed for 12, 18 months. Man, that's a really good point. I, ne- I never thought about that. I never thought about that, that people that have just entered the industry, the level of uncertainty has pushed all those people left. out. And then you can, so you get the gap between your guys who have been there six, seven years and those ones who should have been four or five year experience are gone now. So you've got that big gap where now you've got nothing and you only got your entry level people in. So, you know, it is hard. And then because of that, um, you know, your entry level guys, if they decide to leave, you know, the gyms are left obviously with a shortage of really good trainers. So the ability, um, you know, a lot of gyms see this as a long-term solution to having a really good qualified instructor, getting a student at, you know, year. Uh, in year 11 gives the gym the opportunity to train them to their standards to mold and develop them and mentor them uh, to the um, the standards they want obviously sometimes the challenge when you get a gym from another provider that they have a certain way of doing things or they've mm. from this provider this is literally like a blank canvas you can really and a young yeah, motivated student as well um, who hopefully can learn your members you know really um, learn the systems processes standards and um, can really be that long-term trainer at a young age. So that's obviously number number two. Number three, commercial. Again, obviously this is, um, you know, the gyms are running a business, so there's got to be a commercial benefit. So uh, this is this is what blows me away, mate. Like it truly blew me away because if gyms knew that this existed, they'd be all over it. Because number one, I know in my two gyms, our members would absolutely love it. They have that community. They think, let's support Johnny from Katara High School. Yeah. Not to mention now the commercial benefit. Yeah, exactly right. And then that's the thing. I mean, there's everyone has their different, you know, I suppose, motivations. And, you know, it's not saying that one way is, you know, better than the other. You know, everyone's different in what they're trying to achieve and can have more than one. But commercial benefit, obviously, there, there is a small wage subsidy, not, you know, not a large one. Um, you know, $1,750 for a student if for a gym that takes on a student paid at six and 12 months. Um, but you do have a student that is in a, on a traineeship wage. So the award wage varies between about ten fifty to fourteen dollars an hour, more for um, public holidays and, and weekends. So, um, from a value point of view, you know, that, and I speak with a lot of gyms that they have some of their head trainers or their personal trainers who are on forty, fifty bucks an hour, having to do some lower level tasks that they could mm. be running more sessions and earning the gym more money. So having some. Yeah, so for example, if trainers are in the gym, mopping the gym, cleaning the floors, cleaning the equipment. The trainee that you provide could go in and do that to get experience and the actual trainer itself could be doing more revenue generating activities like running sessions, like doing PT. You could have a PT rather than have to have 15, 30 minute gaps in between sessions to pack up and set up, can have 
back to back to back because they've got a trainee who during the middle of the session is learning, engaging and putting the weights away and they're setting out for the next session. So you can literally have, okay, we can get another two sessions um, per day out and make extra money. You can have group sessions and fill the classroom more because you have your head instructor and your support staff, your trainee coming in supporting and monitoring. If there's any issues, they can get the group instructor to come and fix technique and things like that so you have more than mm. one set of eyes on there. So, if I was to employ a trainee from you guys, is there a minimum number of hours per week or how does that work? Yeah, so minimum number of hours. So the traineeship to get um, qualified for and complete the traineeship, they need to do 100 days of paid employment across their year 11 or 12 years, so across two years. So that's equivalent of uh, one day's equivalent of 7.6 hours. So essentially 760 hours across two years, which is about eight hours a week. So the yep. minimum they need to do, and that can be broken up however. So it can be a full day. They can have one full day off, but realistically, knowing the, the, well, the fitness industry is busy in the morning and afternoon. They could mm. just work two hours every afternoon or on a weekend or in the morning, whatever suits the, obviously the student and the gym. Uh, it's what works for, for them, it, and that's the the beauty of it. They can be. Yeah, so, so the idea would be if we go twenty four seven gym, you could have the trainee come in between five pm, seven pm, Monday through Friday, be on the desk, yep. and then have your membership consultant or your trainer outdoors doing revenue generating activities. That's correct. Yep, mate. What percentage of gyms know this knows knows this exist? Well, there's there's not a lot to be honest. Like we've to be honest, I've just been on the phones. You know, you know, again, the you know got onto yeah yourself. Um, you know, trying to connect with people online. It's more the awareness thing, and and a lot of again, gyms are so busy. When they hear a lot of it, it's like oh, I don't have the time. And hundred percent to get it is a lot of information to take in. But when you sit and really map it out, you know what's required. It isn't, and the benefit across the two years. Yes, there is a bit of a an, an understanding what's required just completing some paperwork with the trainees you sign up initially. But once they start with you, they're your employee. You it's, employ like, it's like any staff member. You have to onboard them correctly and yeah. then they'll make your life better. Exactly right. So if you put the time in to onboard them and train them, they're your employee. And again, they're on traineeship wage. The, the traineeship wage goes up in year, um, year 12 slightly, but they're still uh, you know a low-cost employee, but they're a young motivated trainer. Not And you've got the ourselves as the training provider, their parents, their school, Obviously, trying to keep them accountable, making sure you know they are turning up on time, they're doing everything right, and they are you know really employed. For us, we have a screening process before we even introduce a student to a gym to make sure. If, again, for us, it's important the students are fully aware uh, about what um, is required of them. Um, you know, one of the things going back to as well before we even um, you know have a, a gym commit, we understand. A lot of it in the gym and student might not be the right fit. We try to match the student in the gym as best as possible. But all we ask of the gym is, um, would you be willing to get a student who we've identified in for an unpaid work experience to see if they're the right fit? You know, no, um, no commitment. Get them in, have a work experience. If you think this student will be a really good fit and could add value, great. Now we can talk about what the process is for onboarding. Because once they get so, mate, in, I want to wrap that circle back around. So, for example. Before committing to this program, you give them a call. Hey, I've got Johnny from Katara. Yep. He wants to come down to Breakthrough Active Adams Town for an unpaid work experience trial. Yep. Would you be open to that? Exactly. Would you be open to that? Um, and no, uh, no commitment. The, I introduced the the gym to the school and the student because obviously, you know, I say, look, I'll leave you with you guys. You arrange your time and logistics. You go out there, do your training, um, do your work experience. Then I'll touch base. Look, how'd you find Johnny? You know, what did you think? And if you go, look, I think, you know, he might be a bit shy, um, but I think, you know, some, he's really keen and, you know, he can really add value. Okay, great. 
here, well, here are the next steps and we can mm. go from there. Okay. And those next steps, I like Johnny. I say, Chris, I want Johnny to work for us. What is the, the, the turnaround time? So turnaround time, again, it could be, you know, as, as quick as possible. You, you can employ, so the, um, the, the gym can employ the student as quick as possible. From a traineeship point of view, we go back to the school, we give them the training plan, go, this is how the course is going to be delivered. Then there's an uh, apprenticeship network provider who does the traineeship contract. So they've got the, 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 the government contract to say you're on a traineeship. So they get us to sign the school, the student, the gym. So they go around and get every party to sign the contract. Once that contract's signed, they're now on a traineeship um, and the student can start working. If they want to start working before the start of, say, the end of this year, those hours can go towards their traineeship. Um, or if the gym says, look, I don't want to onboard them, have them start working till January next year, that's fine. Um, they just mm. have to start working by the middle of February um, is the ideal time as the latest to start working next year. And just to be clear, so this student is getting a, a Cert three effectively for government funded and for that requirement he must get the work experience hours and he must be like getting a certain level of grade in school or what what happens on the school side so the school side that's you know they they um the student goes and completes um their additional units as per how they do the cert three it counts to two units in one of the years and three units so it counts to hsc units so they have to complete their coursework be competent in that coursework Anytime it's not competent, it's just resubmitted. We provide extra support. They have opportunities to resubmit their work. Um, from a work um, point of view, again, from the paid employment, there is no assessment. As, um, however, they will have a journal of activities that they will need to tick off to say across the two years, I'm ticking off to say that I've um, sat on the reception desk and reached out to a member or that I've viewed and, and completed a um, screening assessment, all the requirements of the course. Um, we also have a trainer assessor come out on site every so often, just again, check in with the supervisor, check in with the student, make sure, again, they're ticking through all those things. And then just a journal to sign off the times and days to make sure they're hours. So essentially, yeah. so, it's not so, 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 so the dream outcome for a gym would be really busy gym in the afternoon between five and seven. You yep. want your trainer doing revenue generating activities. And you want to help her, but you don't want to pay a receptionist 50 an hour. You can get Johnny from Katara to come in on this trainee-based program, and he can clean the gyms, hire members, sign people up, process payments, do all the things that have to get done, but you're probably not doing. Yeah, exactly right. And, and to add to that, our first term um, when we deliver the, the actual course component, and we've strategically done this, is that the units they will complete in their first term um, are all around work health and safety. So again, they can safely clean up and, and do uh, you know a lot of um, that sort of side of things at the gym. Um, customer service and business development. The reason we do that is if for some reason, if a student turns around and decides that fitness industry is not for me, um, then they can obviously have learned really tangible skills that they can mm. transfer across the industry. But for the gym, they're learning things that you can put them to use straight away. The start of the year is obviously a great chance for, build com- um, for commercial um, generating activities. Having them learn about customer service, how to learn about how to approach um, uh, uh, members, how to introduce people as they walk in, how to on-sell things and things like can add value um, to the gym again and allow and free up um, some of your probably higher paid trainers to do what they do best and, and bring in whether it's group sessions or, or personal training sessions. Yeah, so it's a win, 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 win regardless of the outcome. You're either yeah. helping a student that becomes hopefully a long-term employee yeah. or you're helping a student and giving him the skills, maybe the, the mentorship that you didn't have when, when you were a child, i.e. myself. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's yeah. really, really cool, mate. Yeah, definitely. So look, very excited. There's obviously, we've now had over 60 gyms across New South Wales, um, you know, come on board, which is fantastic. Um, we still have 
um, a, a, a number of um, students that we still haven't been able to place yet. Um, you know, we do have around the Lake Macquarie area and Maitland area have, have a, a lot of um, students down in Shaw Harbour as well um, that are still sort of looking for gyms. So again, um, any listeners so, are in those areas. If a gym is if a gym is listening and they want to get staff, look at a traineeship. How do they contact you, and how do they? What's the what's the first step? First step, um, I can provide you a link and with a direct contact for me, um, or just go to one training. Uh, dot com dot au forward slash spat so or if you just go to the main page in the tab you'll see spat there's an inquiry form down um, the bottom that'll get um, um, sent to me i'll get in contact with you um, and be able to chat through all the details um, conversely if you are interested and just want to know some more information um, i'm going to run an information session about all the specific details around that about specific award wages when you can onboard and, and things like that uh, this Friday at 11 o'clock, I think. So I can send a Calendly link out for any of um, listeners who want to book in and learn about that. Uh, and it can have some more one-on-one time and in a time that we can um, obviously chat about that. So, um, the, and anyone who then d- does book in that, um, I'll be able to email through all, all of our, um, I suppose, marketing collateral, which has all the information uh, that I'll need to go and access uh, and, and learn about the train issues. So mate, from West Tigers legend to kangaroo, to helping athletes take that next step, next step post sporting career to helping kids get jobs with gyms, mate. That's an amazing story. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, it's really exciting, and you know, looking forward to being able to obviously, you know, give back and, and see the next generation of tra- trainer, um, you know, come through. Um, you know, being fortunate enough to obviously, you know, learn a lot of things, you know, through my playing career. You know, work with different cohorts, work with athletes, schools. Uh, and, and sort of, you know, and I think I mentioned to you, um, you know, in a previous conversation, really excited now, um, not only about obviously the school, um, school students, but, um, you know, we're just about to launch a, a new uh, delivery model, um, you know, for us with the, the reason why we've been so successful athletes and now with school students, it's been able to learn, get feedback and really tailor education specifically for a group. That's our strength uh, in, in what we do at One Training. Um, you know, as I spoke about some of the, the people we've been able to help um, who are working full-time in an industry, who are looking to change industries, looking to supplement their income and looking to start a fitness business. You know, we've started to get more feedback, really get some successful outcomes now, and I've changed our delivery model to that group to suit that need. So, um, you know, really excited to, to be able to learn our FlexiLearn fitness course model uh, in the coming weeks. Um, we're going to li- have a limited um, cohort, but um, going to uh, open up a special offer to all your um, listeners there, which I can provide the details. Open up to 15 spots. Um, I can provide a link, you know, and, and everything like that. Um, so you can have a look at some of the amazing discounts. But essentially, it's just going to give them that access to the community of the mentoring uh, community to, again, help those participants at the gyms. They might have, um, you know, Cert 3 qualified instructors who were thinking about doing the Cert 4 members who, you know, often members become your best trainers, you know, your best advocates. Um, who have been thinking about it, this is the ideal time to start. If they're thinking at the end of the year, um, you know, wasn't sure whether to start, I've got another job at a love mm-hmm. fitness, um, you know, this is their opportunity to do it, dip their time in the water, they could be your next, next star employee. Mate, I finished the podcast with two questions. This is a one, one for you. What are you most proud of in your career to date? Uh, rugby league career? Yeah. Rugby league career. Um, I think, yeah, I think... I couldn't put on probably three things that stand out. Debut, um, you know, making debut, getting a try and win. It's you always remember your debut game. Um, really special. Uh, first test match, you know, 
very, very special, you know, definitely to, to pull on that green gold jersey. And probably third thing would, would have been um, uh, to win a Four Nations final in 2011. So I played uh, in the final in 2011, played all, all the test matches in, in the Four Nations tour, played in the final, played in Darren Lockyer's last ever game when we beat England. So, you know, and to do that was pretty special. Mate, what's one question I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Oh, one question you should have asked me is, um, is there one thing or any, um, no, is there a number of things that helped you get to where you would um, wanted to be in your fitness career? Or your rugby career, sorry. And what's the, what's the answer, mate? I think the answer is that it's just about constantly getting better. It's about the compounding effect of getting better every day. I base my entire career. I was talented, but I was never the most talented. So talent's important, but you have to get better every day. The more you get better, you look back after a year's time, those who aren't constantly pushing and getting better, the gap gets bigger. Um, and if you get comfortable, um, you don't become adaptable, you look ahead and people are jumping, uh, jumping in front of you. So whether it's in sport, whether it's in business, whether it's in life, you're constantly learning uh, and just consistently. If you're doing it consistently um, and just not trying to focus on getting there quick but doing it consistently day in, day out, if you go 12 months and actually reflect how far you come, you'll be really surprised. If you go five years and look back, you'll be quite shocked at what you can achieve. So, um, and, if, and if you go 10 years, mate, you'll change your life forever. It's just literally getting better every single day, doing the boring work, which ultimately ends up being a West Tigers legend, former kangaroo, founder of One Wellbeing and founder of One Training. Guys, if you want to contact Chris, about getting some traineeships into your gym. There's going to be links everywhere over this podcast uh, and, and, and we'll go from there, mate. Thank you so much for jumping on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jamie. Cheers, mate. Cool. Don't jump off yet, mate. Just one second.